Would you ever walk away from your faith? If you found out in five years that you weren't a Christian, why do you think that would be? What do you think your friends would say to that question? Could something happen in your life that will cause you to stop following Jesus, stop you from living for his kingdom, fighting to be faithful? It's uh, the country of Japan in the mid-1500s, and there are about 300,000 Christian converts living in Japan. The missionaries from all over the world, especially Spain and Portugal, begin flocking to the country, but in the year 1614, something happened. The, the culture changed abruptly. That government is no longer friendly to Christians. And those in power in, in Japan, they told these missionaries, they weren't at all disputing the right for them to hold their beliefs. In fact, they conceded, look, Christianity, it's probably true for you in Spain, probably true for you in Portugal, but here in Japan, it's not for us. It's not true. They thought the teaching of Christianity had no value in their country. And so for the next 25 years, Christians were expelled. They were kicked out of Japan. It's believed that somewhere between five and 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith. And many others walked away. Why? Well, this is why. There's a, a picture behind me. It's called a fumier. And what the government would do is they would call those Christians in, people, families that they suspected were Christians, they laid this picture down right in front of them on the floor, and they gave them a simple choice. They said, on the one hand, you can trample on this picture. You literally step on it up and down. And if you do that, then you and your friends and your family, you could go home. No big deal. No problem. Or you could refuse, and you could be tortured slowly, hung upside down by your feet, boiled in hot springs, crucified upside down, you, your friends, your family. You see, to trample on this picture, it was the ultimate sellout. That symbolized the fact that they were walking away from their faith, showed that they didn't really trust Jesus, love Jesus. And this wouldn't happen just once. Oftentimes, the government would call these people in, families in once a year for their reminder of their event, of what they did, and they make them trample on it again and again and again as a reminder of the choice that they made. And in this culture where honor and integrity was held in the highest regard, stepping on this would have been one of the most shameful things you could have ever done. Now, that's an extreme example. I know you and I probably are not ever going to be forced to trample on something like that. We're never going to have such a direct black and white choice. None of us are probably going to die for our faith. And yet, that question remains, is there something out there that would make you walk away from your faith? In our final sermon in the book of Acts, we're going to see that Paul, he had to wrestle with these questions too. There's things that we're going to see going on in his life that force the question front and center, is it worth it for me to keep living for God? And so turn to Acts 28, and as you do, that's the last chapter in Acts, as you do, we're going to look just for a second, at what Paul's purpose in life was. You see, after Paul was converted on that road to Damascus, God told him, go to Damascus. And at the very same time, God was speaking to a man in Damascus named Ananias. And this is what he said to Ananias. Listen for Paul's purpose here. God told Ananias, go, go to Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people 
of Israel. And Paul knew he had no doubt his purpose in life. He was chosen to proclaim the gospel, that good news to the Gentiles, that is anybody who did not have a Jewish background. You see, the good news that he was telling these people was that God is on this mission to redeem and restore this entire world that has been infected by sin and death and pain and tears and racism and hate and evil and on and on we could go. God hates that and he wants it to go away. And so he's on a mission to spread a kingdom of love and of justice and of mercy to every corner of the globe. And he doesn't just do this by himself. He wants other people to do it. In the Old Testament, he chose the Jews, the Israelites to do this. But now that Jesus has come, he wants all people from all races and all backgrounds to participate with him in bringing about this kingdom. The one criteria is that you need nothing but faith in Jesus. That's Paul's message. That is what Paul is so dead set on preaching and spreading far and wide to all who are going to hear. But it's going to keep going. Is he going to keep going despite the obstacles and the hardships that we've seen him face thus far and that we're going to see in his life tonight? And in a similar way, if you're a Christian here tonight, then you have a purpose for your life. God's given you a purpose. He wants you and he wants me to be a blessing. He wants our lives to reflect love and justice and mercy. He wants you to tell others about Jesus. Lots of different ways to do that. He wants us to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. He wants us to uh, see, he wants to see the fruits of the Spirit in our life, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control, all of those things on display front and center so that it blesses the people around us, our friends, our family, fellow Christians, but also non-Christians so that people are drawn to that like a light in a dark place. That's what he wants from us. The question that I have to answer, the question that you have to answer, that we have to answer together is are we gonna keep doing it? Are we gonna keep going? Or is there something out there that would, that would stop us? We're in chapter 28. The previous chapter details an actual uh, voyage that Paul went through, a storm that he went through. And we're not gonna get a chance to look at that tonight. It's a really interesting story. Uh, but I, I personally, I love that imagery of a storm. Because if you're like me, that's a great description of what life is sometimes like. Maybe most times, a storm. I mean, storms, we all know what that means. They're chaotic. They're uncontrollable. And they're really common. We've all been through storms in the past. We're all going through a storm in some way right now. And trust me when I say you're going to go through storms in the future. And so tonight, we're going to look at three storms so to speak, that Paul went through and tempted him to abandon that purpose, to walk away from the purpose that Jesus had given, given him. Here's the first one. The first is his storm of imprisonment. So after Paul's trial in front of King Agrippa, he, he made this request, an appeal to make his case in front of Caesar in the capital of Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire. And he actually had this right to do because he's a Roman citizen. And so Acts 27 tells us of that journey from the country, the area of Judea in the south, all the way north to Rome. We'll come back to that in just a second. But no one, when Paul gets to Rome, he's still in prison. And at this point, he's been in prison for some form or another for two full years. But when he gets to Rome, he's not locked up behind bars. He's kind of like under house arrest. 
He's got his own place that he's paying for with his own money somehow, and yet he's under surveillance 24-7 by a guard, under close supervision from the Roman authorities. So he hasn't lost all of his freedoms, and yet it's still an imprisonment. He's not free. It's like he's got an ankle monitor on. Everybody knows where he is at all times. And, And Paul actually knows this and feels this. Acts 28, verse 20, Paul says, For this reason I've asked to see you and talk with you. He's talking to Jewish people here. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So Paul's in prison. He's in prison in Rome for two more years after this. He'd been in prison for two years before this, so a four-year stretch. He has no ability to determine his life. He's got, surely, he's got hopes and dreams for how he thinks this gospel, this message should be spread, and yet he's in lockdown. He can't do what he really wants. Think about how he could have responded to this storm. Could have gotten consumed by anger and frustration that he wasn't free. Could have been consumed by bitterness towards God because of this. He thought, why God? Why would you give me this great calling and here I am. I'm not doing what I want. I'm not living out what you want me to do in the way that I know I can do it. Why would you put me here? He could have lost hope. But he didn't. In fact, he seems to be growing stronger and more determined as a result of this imprisonment because he kept on preaching. Acts 28, verse 23. The Jews arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying in Rome. And Paul witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. These meetings took place for not just a week, not just a month, but for two whole years. And this isn't Paul's last stint in prison either. In fact, Paul died in prison. See, most likely Paul was released from this imprisonment, and he did three more years of ministry around uh, the Mediterranean. And then he gets imprisoned again. And this is where he, he dies. But even in his last breath, in his last days, he's committed to writing a letter. That's our, uh, the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. That's the last letter that Paul wrote. Prison didn't stop him. He kept going. Obviously, it's different, but similar in some sense. What ways do you feel like you're imprisoned right now? In what ways do you feel like you have zero control over your life? Is it, is it an addiction of some sort? Maybe an eating disorder? You can't stop viewing things on the internet, pornography? Are you controlled by your stupidly busy schedule? You'd love to change it. Maybe next semester you will, but right now you just got to grit your teeth and get through it because you have no control over that right now. Are you imprisoned by your own sin struggles? If you're like me, it's hard because you can't not crave the approval of other people. You can't not control your tongue. You can't not be patient with that friend. It's hard. It's impossible. Is it a mental health issue? Is that anxiety? Is that depression just a weight that you carry with you over and over again and it affects you and you have no control over it? Remember, as as Christians, we've been given a purpose by God. We get to play a role in the spread of this kingdom of love and justice and mercy. It's this great purpose. How do we do that when we feel like we're in prison? How did Paul keep going? What made, him, what made him not walk away? Second storm that tempted Paul to abandon this purpose was the storm of rejection. So, so Paul's under house arrest in Rome, 
but he still has the freedom to invite whoever he wants. And so as we read earlier, he invited this group of Jews, the Jewish people, to Rome, in his home in Rome, because he wanted them to believe in Jesus. Here's the result of these discussions in Acts 28, verse 24. Some of these Jews were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Paul said, the Holy Spirit was right in what he said to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And the passage that Paul goes on to quote is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. In that passage, it says the prophet Isaiah is going to go to the people of Israel and he's going to keep speaking the truth. You know what the people are going to do? They're going to willingly blind their eyes. They are going to harden their hearts against that message. They're going to reject it. Paul is telling those Jews in the first century, they're doing the exact same things. They're blinding their eyes. They're hardening their hearts. They didn't see and they didn't want to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the power of Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of the world. They rejected that message. They said, no thanks, we got our own thing. And Paul couldn't do a thing about it to change their minds. He was rejected. Imagine if you're Paul for a moment. He had such a heart for these people because they're his own ethnic family. They've got the same ancestors. They've got the same shared history in every city that Paul traveled around to. You know what his, you know what his pattern was? He'd first go to the synagogues where the Jewish people were at first, and he would preach to them, talk to them, and if and when they rejected it, he'd go to the Gentiles, those non-Jews. But he loved these people. So imagine how Paul felt when they said no thanks when they disbelieved, and when they departed from him. I bet, I bet there were times when he questioned that message. Is this gospel, is it really relevant? Is this what the world needs? If so, then why are so many people saying no? I bet at times Paul questioned his abilities. Am I not a good enough speaker? Am I not being persuasive enough? Is there something wrong with me? Should I give up? Should I find a new job, a new calling? What is it? Have you felt rejection like this before? Have you ever talked about Jesus with somebody you love, a friend, a family member, maybe even asked them to believe and they, they said no? They rejected you, didn't understand, thought you were weird, stopped communicating all, all the time. Have you had any close friends, maybe in high school, maybe in college, walk away from the faith? You see them start drifting, you say something, they don't listen to you, and pretty soon in the next semester, next year, they're not Christians. If you're like me, that's, that's caused you, and that would cause you, has caused you a lot of confusion and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Why would they walk away? Maybe you felt rejection in other areas of life. Maybe you're trying to get involved in campus, in an organization, or in a, a spot on your dorm, or in your fraternity or sorority, and you got rejected because they found out that you went to church. They didn't think you were exec material because you talked about Jesus too much would have weirded people out. If that were me, I for sure, I'd be at least entertaining the question, would it be just better to drop the whole Christian thing? If I want to get on this fast track to the top, whatever the top is, should I just drop the Christian act? Have you ever felt rejected socially because you weren't willing to compromise your Christian convictions? Maybe that's happened again and again and again, and you're asking yourself, all right, enough of this. Is it, is it time for me to just punt on the whole thing? My biggest regret in college, I took 22 shots on my 21st birthday as a Christian. And I did it because I did not want to be rejected. 
when I became a Christian, it was during the winter break of my junior year, and I was living in a fraternity. And then over that winter break, I went on uh, the Greek mission trip to Harmons, Jamaica. I know some of you have been getting ready to go. Uh, That's where Jesus turned my life around. Things changed like that. Now, before that trip, I had no problem, no issue, no conscience whatsoever about going out and getting hammered three to four nights a week. Anybody was down, I was there. Let's go. But then after this trip, I realized, now, wait a minute. If I want to live for God, if I want to live for his kingdom, then I have to give up getting drunk. Not give up alcohol, give up getting drunk and abusing alcohol. You see, that wasn't the way that God intended for me to live or intended anybody to live. And for me, that was a tough choice. Because if I gave up abusing alcohol, then that meant that I gave up on the foundation of most of my friendships in my life. Many of the friendships with my pledge class and guys in my fraternity were built around the abuse of alcohol. And so for a couple months, two, three months, I, I, I dabbled, right? If everybody would do Edward 40 hands with two 40s, I'd do one, right? I want to be responsible about this. When it came to my 21st birthday, three months later, a couple of my pledge brothers, they, they said, what did I want to do? I said, I want to go to Blue Note. And I did 22 shots because I didn't want to be rejected. The next morning, I felt absolutely terrible. I felt so much pain, and it was more than just the pain of a hangover. It was the pain of realizing that I compromised in that moment my Christian convictions because I wanted the acceptance of my pledge brothers and my fraternity brothers more than I wanted to live for Jesus. Now, hear me say, it's not wrong to want acceptance and to find friends. That's built into every single person. That's okay. But here's the deal. Jesus gives us limits on the lengths that we are able to go to find that acceptance for our own good. Staring down rejection. Now, that's difficult. It's not easy. But I tell you what, the storm is coming. If you haven't faced it yet, you're going to face it next semester when you get into the real world, when you, if and when you get married, when you have kids, and all of these things, those, that storm is coming. And the question I've got to ask myself, the question you've got to ask yourself is you can stand firm. Is it worth it to keep living for God the way Paul did? Final storm that tempted Paul to walk away from his faith is, is, is maybe the most dangerous of all. And that's the storm of success. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. Here's a quote from it. I love it. It says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You catch what he's saying there? He's saying that in our pain, in our storms, God is shouting to us. There's something about being in a a storm that wakes us up to the fact that we need help. And so when we're in a storm, we're much more inclined to turn to God, to reach out to God, to ask for his help, to hear what he has to say, But God whispers to us in our pleasures. We might say successes. When somebody whispers, you have to listen a little more closely because it's harder to hear them talk. See, I'm afraid that you and I, when we have success, that we don't feel that need to listen to God more closely. And anytime we don't feel a need to listen to God, that's a dangerous place to be. Paul goes through this storm of success when he shipwrecks on an island called Malta. So Paul appealed to Caesar in Rome when he's in uh, Judea. And he's on his way from Rome to Judea by the way of, of, of 
a, of a ship. So there's a map behind me. Uh, bottom right is Judea, and he's got to get all the way up to Rome, top left. The first leg of their journey goes according to plan, but then you see they get into the sea. Huge storm hits. They're at sea for a couple weeks. They think they're going to die, and then by God's grace and mercy, he saves them, and they crash land on the island of Malta, and that's when it gets real crazy. So they land on the island of Malta. The natives are so nice, they actually start building them a fire to keep them warm. Paul goes into the brush, gets a pile of sticks, throws them on the fire. Out comes a viper, talk about having a bad day, latches onto his arm. Verse 4 of chapter 28. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. I'm sure it was this calm, by the way. This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. What would Paul do? It's the most, yeah, I'll just read it. But Paul shook off the snake in the fire and suffered no ill effects. No big deal. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time, seeing nothing unusual happen to him, They changed their minds, said he was a god. Uh, There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home, showed us generous hospitality for three days. This man's father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. These people, the Maltins, they honored us in many ways. When we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Notice that Paul was literally worshipped by these native Maltins. They said he was a god. After he healed the chief's dad, word spread and people began bringing their sick from all over the island. He's held in extremely high honor. Can you imagine what the success must have been like? Paul's a man who's been rejected by his own people in prison for years, unappreciated, and here he stumbles onto this island where hundreds of people finally recognize his talent, his ability, the power that's been given to him by God. This is an entirely different storm for Paul altogether. Success is an entirely different storm altogether. Remember, God shouts in the pain, but he whispers in the pleasure and the success, and Paul is far from pain here. And so he's got to listen closely because God's whispering to him in this moment. And it begs the question for us, where are you experiencing success right now? Maybe you're well-respected among your community of friends. You're honored. People ask you for advice and it feels good. Maybe you just got into a relationship or you're on the cusp of getting into a relationship and it's exciting and you're trying to figure things out where you can go on your first date. He said yes, she said yes, you got the hot and sweaties, it's all happening finally, it's okay. Maybe you're in a really influential position on campus, in your dorm, in your fraternity or sorority, in your job and, and you're making a difference, you're having success, you're leading a small group, you're serving, you're growing personally, those are great things. I'm thankful for those successes. You should be thankful for those successes. Even pray for them, but be careful. Be careful because God whispers to us in our success. We need to listen a lot more closely, pay a lot more closer attention in our successes. Why are those so dangerous? Why is it that our successes are so dangerous? Well, we said it before, they dull our sense of need for God. I mean, think about this for a second. How often do you hear people say, my goodness, I am a physical specimen. I am in the best shape of my life. I run a 230 mile. Uh, I, you know, I bench 500 pounds. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call my doctor up, go in for a checkup. 
I want to make sure I'm doing okay. Nobody says that. Or nobody says, hey, guess what? Just bought the 2024 Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, it's really uh, cutting edge. 200 miles to the gallon. Just drove it off the lot, got two miles on it. I'm going to call up my mechanic, make sure it's running smoothly. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody calls the doctor when they're feeling fine. Nobody calls the mechanic when your car is running fine. It's the same thing spiritually. Nobody feels the need for God when they're feeling fine, when we experience success. But be careful. Jesus says this in Mark 2, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus calls sinners to himself. He calls sick people who know their need, know they need him. Be thankful for the successes you have. They've been given to you and to me by God. Don't feel guilty. Pray for them, absolutely, but be careful. Don't let those successes dull for God. So three storms, imprisonment, a rejection, a success. These things did not break Paul. Instead, they, they made Paul. He didn't walk away from his faith in these storms. He didn't even survive in the storms. He's thriving in the storms. How did he do it? What made him do that? What does he know that I don't know? Because I, I need to know. I've been through storms in the past, going through storms in the present. There's some waiting out there for me. And the same is true for you. You've been through them in the past. You're going through them right now. They are coming. Some you see and some you don't see. And those are the hardest ones to deal with. Here's what Paul knew. He knew that God's kingdom was unstoppable. He knew that God's kingdom was unstoppable. Old Testament book of Daniel Chapter 2, verse 44 says this, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. See, Daniel was living in exile, and he was interpreting a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And in the dream, the king sees this massive statue. You think it's powerful. You think it's going to last, and then he sees it crumble. And it freaks him out because he thought that he's the guy in charge. And he calls out to Daniel, says, Daniel, what's it mean? And Daniel, trembling before the king, says, look, King Nebuchadnezzar, that statue represents your power or the power of any other king or government in the future. And guess why it crumbles? That statue crumbles because God's kingdom is unstoppable. It's more powerful than any earthly kingdom. This kingdom can't be put in prison. It comes despite rejection, and it's better and more satisfying than any sort of earthly success you and I can get for ourselves. That promise came true. Mark chapter 1 says, Jesus, verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What's the good news? What's the message? The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That unstoppable kingdom is here in and through the person of Jesus. And so wherever pain, wherever hurt, wherever sin, wherever evil, wherever hate, wherever racism is found on this globe, their time is short because Jesus is out to get them. He's coming for them. He has made a statement loud and clear that this will not stand forever and it's coming to an end. God's kingdom of love and justice and mercy is currently at this very moment spreading throughout the world in and through the person of Jesus. And guess what? He chooses people like you and me, ordinary people, not because he needs us, but because he wants us to participate in that spreading kingdom. This 
is a huge message that Luke is telling us throughout the entire book of Acts. There's, if you read the book from start to finish, there's at least, by my count, 14 explicit statements of the reality that God's kingdom is spreading. People are believing. The church is growing. This movement of Jesus followers that started with zero people, or maybe just one people, one person, Jesus, has now is growing and growing and growing. It's starting to snowball over and over and over and larger and grander. It can't be stopped. Why would he thread this theme throughout the book of Acts? Well, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Remember, the book of Acts is not written to us, but it's written for us. 30 years after the death of Jesus, there's a disheartened group of Christians, scared Christians, timid Christians, confused Christians. They're living in Palestine, and they're in the midst of storms. There were pressures within themselves, among the community and outside the community, that were pressuring them, enticing them to walk away from their faith. They needed encouragement. They needed reminders. Acts wasn't written to us, but it's written for us. We don't live in Palestine, but we need encouragement. We're often disheartened. We're probably not going to be in danger of being thrown in jail anytime soon or killed for our faith, but we need encouragement against those storms, against those imprisonments, against the face of rejection in the face of those successes. Just like them, we need to hear that God's kingdom is unstoppable. And so as the the music team comes up. I just want to close by reading the ending of the book of Acts. Just two verses. 28 verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome, stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. Anybody else confused with that ending? Anybody else a little bit disappointed? If you're like me, I want to know, okay, yeah, great, but where's the epilogue? Is that coming? What happened in front of Caesar? I mean, did he convert the Roman emperor? That would have been cool. How did he get out of jail? We don't know. I mean, I, I want to, I'm a little disappointed like that. I, I'm used to endings like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Those endings were so satisfying. There were closure. It was awesome. You know what happens? You don't get that at the Book of Acts, it leaves us wanting. It's anticlimactic. There's no closure, but here's the deal. That's perhaps the most brilliant way to end the book. You know why? There's no real closure in the story of Acts because the story is not over. The story has not ended yet. Yes, on the one hand, God's kingdom has come in and through the person of Jesus. It's spreading right now, but it's not done. It's not fully here yet because there's still work to do. There are still people out there who don't know Jesus. There's still people out there who are hardened, who don't want anything to do with Jesus. God's not done with them, and therefore we are not done with them. There's people who need to hear about Jesus, who need to experience the love of Jesus through the words we tell them, through the acts of service that we do, through the care that we show people. There's still people waiting for an invitation into this story, into this kingdom. And that's a kingdom worth living for because it's unstoppable. Prison can't contain it. Rejection won't stop it. Earthly success doesn't compare with it. You see, this open-ended finale of Acts, it invites all of us to play a part in that unstoppable kingdom. And the question that I've got to ask, the question you've got to ask, 
So will we keep going or will we stop? Let me pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful. We are so thankful for the book of Acts to see just firsthand the reality of your unstoppable kingdom. The storms that the early Christians went through, the storms that Paul went through, are storms that we're going through. Storms of imprisonment, of rejection, even of success. Lord, we bring those to you. Would you reveal those to us and wherever we find ourselves, Lord, would you move us just a little bit more to believe the fact that your kingdom is unstoppable. Help us to keep going. Pray for those people who aren't here, who need to hear that as well. Help them to keep going. We thank you that you will not be stopped and we look forward to you coming fully.